Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cadle, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church and Campus Ministry here in Los Angeles, California. I'm Zach Ferris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. Zach, how was it? Wow! There was a game. I was there. It was a little warm. It was sunny. Um... There were uh, passes. One team passed to the like the team passes within themselves. Sometimes the pass was intercepted by other team. Uh, the fans. It was great to meet so many fans of the the podcast that we do. Uh, they just. I really appreciate the fans who gave me the ticket upgrade, and I got to watch it in the the luxury suite. That was really nice. Uh, so shout out to the fans. Um, go America! Champions Incredible. of the world, I believe now. Incredible stuff! Wow, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad it was so. There were shots worthwhile. I sure hope there were shots. I believe um, probably some saves, <laughs> and I'm guessing there were obscenities chanted. Was it you, uncircumcised Philistines? Yeah, that- yeah, yeah. Those uncircumcised <laughs> Philistines. Oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. I hate those guys. Yeah. USA five. Oh. Uncircumcised Philistines zero seven. <laughs> Well, fun fact, uh, we're recording this podcast what? out of time, mm. uh, so you are going to have to come back in July to hear about Zach's early June soccer match. You have to come back in July to hear July about July 4th is here. when you're going to find out about this match on June the 3rd. Uh, amazing stuff. Uh, yeah, so that's, I don't, I don't know, is there anything else going on? I guess it's the last Sunday in June. Last Sunday in June? It's probably pretty low times, we're, except for people maybe worshiping in person. Yeah, we thought about it, decided against it. Uh, we're going to do Pride Sunday for last Sunday hey, in June, so that's, that's fun. Exciting. Not a thing that uh, we've we've always done, but the last few years uh, mm-hmm. have been doing. So we're going to keep that up. Uh, and Reconciling Works put out a sermon. They they had a pre-recorded sermon to offer to congregations. Hey. Reconciling Christ congregations. I'm really excited because uh, I get to use a pre-recorded sermon from. Uh, frenemy of the pod, Bishop Kevin Strickland. <laughs> we should have him on the pod to talk about his sermon. It would have been. Gosh. You know what we forgot to talk about, Matt? I mean, that's great. Uh, except for the Kevin Strickland part. Uh, we're doing, hopefully, doing some social media stuff during June. To um, We have been a reconciling Christ Campus uh, ministry since you know, the mid-90s or so. Um, but because of the the nature of our ministry and that it turns over, that like history doesn't always get mm. passed down, right? So if you're a freshman, you don't know that we've always we've got this great history of uh, non-gender conforming LGBTQ plus IA folks uh, who have been really important parts of the ministry and continue to do really impressive and faithful stuff. So we're going to try to find some ways to tell some of those stories uh, this month on the social media. So. Pray for our ability to execute stuff on Instagram. Hey, man. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll look forward to seeing that. But we forgot to celebrate our 250th episode, Matt. Uh, and we are finally remembered to talk about it here on our 252nd episode. Uh, but don't worry, Matt. We'll catch up at we, 300. We don't really like to celebrate the round numbers. We like to pick random That's numbers correct. in between. So um, I'm really looking forward to our um, 283rd episode as well. Uh, 283. Is that prime? I think it's a prime number, man. Could uh, be. Oh, there you go. Could be. 283. My math there counts training. Kicking in. 
Well, shall we continue the story, the saga? Let's continue the saga, though it is a bit of an interlude today. A bit of an interlude. Oh, we're in a new book, Second Samuel. Mm-hmm. Season two. This book is so clearly, these books are so clearly about Saul and David. Again, I question the naming conventions. <laughs> it is really strange. It is really strange. Second Samuel 1-1, comma, 17 to 27. After the death of Saul, when David had returned, so does that first Samuel just end with the death of Saul, I assume? Maybe that's I believe so, yeah. We know a lot about the Bible here. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. Ziklag? Ziklag? Oh, yeah. Sounds like an Eastern European country. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son, Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jashar. He said... Or rather, saying, I guess. We're about to get a song. We're about to get a song. Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Is this where that comes from? How the mighty have fallen? Mm. It comes from right here. It might. Tell it either it came not. from this or it came from Shakespeare. I don't know which one was first. Mm. <laughs> which one was first? Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised <laughs> will like David. Can't let issues. that go. Yeah, he just, he's really will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely. In life and death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson, in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. There he is, David, (laughs) spitting some verses here. Spitting some verses. So, David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan. They got something special I mean, going on. They, they do. They do. We don't, we don't talk about it enough. It's not... Uh, I mean, I remember it's like, oh, they're like their buddies. It's like a buddy comedy or something. They're like... Uh, they're Step partnered brothers. up like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Step Brothers. In you fact. mean Captain America uh, and the Winter Soldier? Yeah, that's what it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's... Uh, it's a much closer relationship than that, it seems to me. Yeah. So, I mean, you get this, like, song of mourning, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's deep. He's deep in mourning. Um, they do die on the battlefield. Um, there are conflicting accounts that happen. Uh, there's a version here at the end of First Samuel, and there's a version in First Chronicles. The larger story if you wanted to explain this context, is um, Saul's preparing to go into battle, Matt, and then he does what all good generals do before they go to battle. 
they consult witchcraft, uh, and he goes to see the witch of Indor. <laughs> and the witch of Indor does not know who he is, um, and uh, he's like, "Please tell me, you know what's going to happen." And the witch of Indor is like, "Actually, this king named Saul has said you can't do this stuff. No seances, no uh, witchcraft." And he's like, "Don't worry, Saul's totally cool with it." And she's like, "Oh well, in that case, he's going to die." Uh, and he didn't know that that was him. And then he goes and he dies uh, on the battlefield along with Jonathan. Wow. Incredible stuff from mm-hmm. the Witch of Endor. So Samuel's dead too, but we're still calling this Samuel. Yeah, I don't get that part. Samuel amazing. died a long time, <laughs> narratively, quite a while ago. Um, middle of first Samuel, I guess. And so we got three quarters of a, what, a book and a quarter, five quarters of a book of Samuel without Samuel. Look, I'll give you all a king, but none of you kings are getting a book named after you. We'll call one kings, but you're not getting a specific name. No mm. proper nouns. No. That's right. No. All right, so you get the song of mourning, and you know it is what it is. I don't know that there's good news, for se, uh, per se, in it that jumps out at me um, outside of my kind of emo good news, my Enneagram 4 good news that loves a good honest, uh, emotional song, uh, to do another Towns Van Zandt quote, um, Towns Van Zandt who suffered from, uh, severe depression and, um, up and down, what's it, bipolar, there you go, uh, once was asked, why do you write so many sad songs? And he said, well, it's because the world's a pretty sad place. So I like, I always find a, a grain of good news in, in singing the sad songs. Uh, something we didn't talk about last week because it was dad's grads in Juneteenth is, uh, you know, there was a resolution passed to church about however long ago, two years ago, I guess it was, to commemorate the Emmanuel 9, which happened on June 17th. Uh, and that might be a lot for one Sunday uh, and pastor, you're going to feel a lot of pressure to do Father's Day stuff. And that may not be the best uh, Sunday for the Emmanuel nine. Um, but maybe June 27th is the text, I think, actually worked pretty good for for your Emmanuel nine observation within your, your worship here. Uh, and it starts with this semi continuous story. That's a, a sad song um, lamenting those who have died. Amen. Amen. We did do it all last year on the same day. Oh, it was did you? On Juneteenth and Father's Day. It worked. It was one of those was Sundays. It, it yeah. all somehow wow. worked. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, it's a song of lament and a song of grief. Um, you could definitely go uh, and talk about the Emmanuel Nine. Um, highly recommend. Also... I mean, after this year of COVID, like I just, again, I feel like grief is going to be this thing to return to again and again. Um, And this gives us another opportunity to do that. Um, Obviously, it'd be tough if every Sunday you're coming in and they just know it's going to be another sermon about grief. Um, But but I feel like we're going to need more of them. uh, I think it's going to be like I was prepared for all a ton of grief, I think. And then because we were facing this, like what we heard forever, maybe we talked about this a couple weeks ago that the return from COVID was going to be such a long, slow transition. And uh, the experience I've had here on June 3rd has just been incredibly fast. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, yeah. I'm feeling the pressure to do all the normal things that I haven't done in right. 14, 15 months. And, and part of that's exciting. You know, I did lunch. We had a staff lunch today with our two staff uh, outside, which was lovely. And we got to talk and stuff. Um but it also means I'm probably rushing past some of the the grief and stuff that that certainly have not worked all the way through yet. So, yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's it. Like, I'm, I'm reminded of that um, so often that folks are are still carrying um, so much. And, and even if we don't carry it at the surface all the time, I do, I do I think it's just going to continue recurring over the, mm-hmm. oh, over the next months and, and years. And so to find some ways to build that in um, uh, to, to your preaching. And this is another opportunity to do that. It's a song uh, about grief. Um, you but might, again, one, yeah, go ahead. You might need to do some work. I don't think you necessarily need to do it in the reading of the, the lesson itself, but to do some translation and recontextualization with, with this song, because it is so bloody and militaristic, um, mm-hmm. that what I would seek to do in working this into that sort of a thing is, you know, repeating some of the phrases and stuff with, with some minor changes, right? Uh, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. Doesn't necessarily speak directly to like COVID, a coronavirus pand- pandemic sorts of things, but to use the phrasing, right, did not turn back, um, return empty. I think you can work those phrases in and help give people, because that's the, that's the, that's the only, there are, there is some real honesty into to David's brokenness here that you can hear, but there are a lot of parts of this that I think people might be turned off of because like, well, that doesn't like, what the hell does that have to do with me? Um, so some work to do there. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I'd probably go, um, uh, zoom out view, uh, just, yeah. Rather than mm-hmm. zoom into some of the specific imagery for sure. Um, also, again, like, if this is contextual, like, how you want to do this, but I, I do feel like it, it is valuable to figure out how we we tell the story of David and Jonathan and how we normalize um, queer relationships in the Bible. I feel like it's worth mm. figuring out ways to lift that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I do think it's still, like, it's not the popular telling of Scripture, um, mm-hmm. but it's he- it's just so clearly here. Um, and so we should find ways to like, just, you know, open that up, normalize it. If, if it's normalizing it or if it's surprising people with it, whatever that looks like in your context, yeah. um, give it some thought. Here it is. The bad news. Wisdom here, of, man, yeah. Go ahead. That I think will, will lead us into the wisdom of Solomon, which is the complementary text is, um, what the takeaway might be here that, that is not good news clearly, but you might help you find a way to good news is that, that, Nobody's more important than David, right? The Gospels go out of their way, right? Matthew does a whole genealogy to help you know that Jesus is David, come back. He's the new David. He's the new David, 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 David. Nobody's more important than David. He's going to reunite the kingdoms. It's going to be great. Um, And even David can't save the ones that he loves. Um, He can't protect Jonathan here. Um, And so you hear that, and that makes... Not that you would read these texts together. This wisdom of Solomon, which is really lovely. God did not make death, and he does not delight in the death of the living. For he created all things so that they might exist. The, oh, God, the generative forces of the world are wholesome, and there is no destructive poison in them. And the dominion of Hades is not on earth. For righteousness is immortal, and God created us for incorruption and made us in the image of his own eternity. But through the devil's envy, death entered the world, and those who belong to his company experience it. Uh, ends not on great stuff uh, necessarily, but the generative forces of the world are wholesome. It is such a clear like note of good news in the midst of death, in the midst of David's song, um, in the midst of uh, emerging from the rubble of the pandemic that I think uh, I like it.
Amen. I like it too. Amen. Mark. Let's Mark. hear this gospel from Mark. Oh, we got a longer cut from Mark, uh, but Jesus is on a boat again. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and immediately aware that power had gone forth from him. Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, so people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house, the leader of, of the leader of the synagogue, he saw commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And at this they were overcome with amazement. But he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The good news of Jesus, Matt. Praise to you, O Christ. <laughs> In deed. What a story. Just a light... Nothing, not a lot of... Super chill. Here. There's a disturbance in the force. Jesus is aware of what happened. Uh, <laughs> he is. He is. It's a super complex structure, right? Like, not, I guess not super complex, but more complex than, like, our straightforward telling of David and Goliath, uh, yeah. where, like, this, this story starts, and then we get a little story in the middle of it, and then we go back to the other story. <laughs> yeah. Jesus has a side quest. That interrupts his, yeah. his quest, right? He has, um, which I think is, is maybe a way how I would preach it, that, you know, I think, was it two or three episodes ago that you talked about, um, you think God has a plan for your life, what well, looks like this. Uh, I think this is what, this is, this is a, a pretty fair description of what God's plan for you in the world looks like. Um, that there is, I don't, again, I don't know if plan's the right word, but there is this intention, dream, a hope that God holds for you that is this victory over death. Um, and yet this incarnational God walks this path where there's a crowd at his feet that he gets delayed. 
um, that the, the life of God does get delayed um, by the realities of the world. And it does most often, right, in service of, of, of life and the gospel. And yet, you know, I mean, it's this is for your HBO miniseries here, Matt. This is, this is it. Jesus gets there too late. Or is it? Right? Uh, or is it? And yet the will of what God is, is done. Um, you know, you could do your time sermon here. I would not do my time sermon this Sunday, but um, <laughs> the timing of it all does not stand in the way of of the will and the work of God. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, and, and the will, and the will, and the work of God. Um, I, I I continue to hear like uh, we've been doing Sunday school, and sometimes we get these stories of like somebody raises somebody from the dead and so then we'll be like, then like some one of the teachers will be like well th- they probably just thought the person was dead like it's mm-hmm. the these are like ancient stories and it's like i don't know i mean maybe jesus in this case jesus says uh just sleeping so i don't know if that was the technical correction or if jesus is saying something probably saying something larger about right. uh, life and death um but it really is raising the dead so maybe we should, I don't know what that means. I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't know what it means. I also especially don't know what it means when like, as a parent who, you know, mm-hmm. you, you begin to introduce to your kids, like, like, uh, object permanence and death permanence, right? Yeah. This is a thing. Like the thing about death is they're, they're not coming back. And then you got to tell them the Easter story and be like, what? so when I said like, this is, <laughs> it's yeah. actually complicated. We, <laughs> so, um, not so much right now, but maybe four or five, six months ago, one of the big issues for us and our family was our four-year-old at the time would tell us about how she could not wait until she got her magic to be able to do all these things, right? And she would come home and she'd be really upset because this kid at school told her magic wasn't real, but I know it's real. And she would say, Mama, Papa, magic is real, right? Do you believe in magic? And, you know, how do you answer that in a way that's not only in a way that's that's parental and pastoral right but in a way that's true because i don't not believe in magic i don't think you know um like it's not what kind of i don't think it's true to tell her that magic isn't real you know because i don't think i believe in that kind of world uh Mm -hmm. and not that we're talking about exactly anything like the same sort of thing but i don't want her to know or not know, to have the misconception that the world is a completely unmagical place. Mm, um, yeah. And I, I believe in that, even if I don't know exactly what that means. Um, and so similarly, like in developmental stuff with young adults, um, who for whom like the resurrection of the dead is a, a real difficult sticking point of like, I don't think this happened, but I'm supposed to believe it. How do I reconcile these things? Um, and there is a pastoral impulse, I think, to say, and I've, I used to be there, and I'm much less there now, to try to help them resolve that, you know? Mm. But yeah. I don't think that's my job anymore, right? Um, the pastoral note I, I most of the time go with now is to say, yeah, you can think whatever, people think a million different things about this, and it's totally okay for you to question this and to, to do it. You can ask me what I think, right? Like, most of them, they don't ask me what I think because they're scared of that. That's just kind of a scary question to ask a pastor. Right, right, right. right. But that's, sometimes that's what I wanted to do because that's like, let's, let's talk about it. Um, yeah. And my answer is not going to be satisfying. It's not going to, like, yeah. resolve the tension for you. 
you know, it's going to yeah. hopefully draw you more deeply into it. And it's going to be right. pretty similar to what I would tell my daughter about whether magic is real. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 No. Amen. I, I, I mean, I feel like that's my approach with, um, these Sunday school students as well is that it's like, I just, I guess I'm not, I'm not that interested in resolving it at the moment, right? I'm just like, I just want to tell a story. Like, and this is, this is what the story says. Um, and I'm just going to leave it there for now. <laughs> um, and if you come to me and ask me like how I, like what I do with, like, I feel like I, I've done different things with these stories over the course of my life. Right. And as you were talking, like, you know, I can think of a way to talk about it, but it's actually like just the way I might talk about it this week because like, and, and I, and I don't think that's like, bad i think it's more that like it's almost like the gospel is a well and you return to it you know when you need something from the well and then you're going to return to it again like in another context where you need the well and you 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 dip into it and you pull out death and resurrection (laughs) and it's going to take a different form at that time in that place um but if you try to explain it all away it like you don't get the full well you know just just got to tell a story and then, yeah, you're going to do stuff with it. And that's probably what you'll do in preaching. So like this time when I preach it, maybe I'll take this angle, right? And then the next time I preach it, I'm going to take another angle on it. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of having a story that's expansive, um, but maybe not resolvable. Yeah. Hey, how about that? Um, hey, we got somewhere. <laughs> Just want to lift up again. Maybe you did this uh, as you were... Reading, but again, crossing again in that boat to mm-hmm. the other side. Got another other side story. Make it Chris um, cross. I mean, oh my gosh! Uh, and so all this healing and uh, raising the dead, also cross cultural. Also picked up a really interesting thing uh, from Chad Myers' commentary, which I always love. Chad Myers' commentary on the Gospel of Mark, binding the strong man, um, where he zeroes in on this twelve years, twelve years thing. Um, uh, but he mentioned something that I had forgotten the last time I read this text, which is that um, the uh, the woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years um, uh, is uh, probably on the margins here, right? So she's been suffering in the margins for 12 years, and yet mm-hmm. she is able she's to unclean. take the initiative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so she, but she, so she's been on the margins for 12 years. She's been unclean for 12 years. And yet she has the faith to like take this initiative and do this thing. Where on the other hand, uh, Jairus is one of the leaders of the synagogue. So his daughter is living in privilege for 12 years and yet is still sick. <laughs> the privilege mm-hmm. does not heal her. Um, and so they've had these different, very different experiences for these 12 years. And of course, 12, you can do all kinds of stuff with 12. Um, but just a lot of symbolism, a lot going on. Jairus is the leader of the synagogue, right? Like you could do a whole thing here on Jesus gets sidetracked uh, or not sidetracked. This is main journey, I guess, right? To go help the religious leaders of the day, which is not how you normally think Jesus is up to, right? Yeah. Uh, And he's in Judea now, right? He moved back. He went from Galilee back to Judea into the land. Like there's big stuff happening here. Um, Yep. The other like interplay here that's interesting is kind of similar to last week is that Jesus, there's this massive crowd. Uh, and then, you know, Jesus is like everybody out of the room, uh, you know, like the, like a doc, like in a, in a medical procedural, he gets everybody out of the room and that movement from being isolated and alone to being a part of this like throng of humans, uh, is interesting at least and worth that rhythm is worth paying attention to. Amen. Lots, uh, lots to work with, lots to work with.
Well, as you're traveling from one place to another and taking side journeys along the way, uh, what do you listen to? Well, Matt, this gospel uh, just reminds me of how cool of a kid Jesus is and how everybody likes him and wants him to be their friend, uh, which is what I get out of the song Starfish and Coffee by uh, Prince. And you got a little deeper knowledge of the song. But uh, Starfish and Coffee, you know, it's about uh, the cool kid, Cynthia, right? Yeah, Cynthia Rose. Cynthia Rose. <laughs> what's the context? Yeah, what's the context to that? So uh, his fiance at the time, uh, had a friend when she was like in grade school who I guess was autistic or on the huh. spectrum somewhere and so um, she had these stories about Cynthia Rose that she would always tell these stories and so like Prince is working on his album and one day he goes like just tell me this could you just write down the story of Cynthia Rose <laughs> and uh, I think it was a different word from coffee and he's like I just want to change one thing in the story um, I want to change it from starfish uh, and this word to starfish and coffee and then it was basically just the story yeah. of Cynthia Rose and he like turns it into a song it's a jam and, yeah, yeah. I love it. So. I'm continuing to love my uh, guitar class, Matt, through the Old Town School, and I fear that the day is coming when we might not be able to do it online, uh, and I will no longer be able to attend. But we've been playing a lot of Neil Young, uh, and uh, uh, don't let it get you down to what we're currently playing, but on that same album of Neil Young's, Only Love Can Break Your Heart, uh, is uh, something I hear in David's song. Um, you know, and if you made me choose, I'd probably go Neil Young over David. Uh, so, putting that on the playlist. And finally, everybody wanting to be saved here um, reminds me of the greatest song about salvation, Amy Mann's uh, Save Me. Uh, and so Ooh. I hear, see, read Amy Mann into the to the woman. Hey, me. Awesome. Well... Well done, sir. Well done. What are you listening uh, to? I'm, <laughs> I'm making my way through uh, Prince's chronological catalog, moving into Purple Rain this week. Ooh, obviously, uh, obviously massive. But uh, you know, again, like just putting out album after album. This is now what his fifth album, which is nuts. But he makes a movie. Uh, I have never seen Purple Rain. I, I feel either. like I need to watch it. We should do a we should do a thing with the listeners. We we'll should watch I know, party. I feel like I feel like we totally should. Yeah. I did visit the house in Minneapolis because I was like I gotta go to a Prince site, and I was gonna go to Paisley Park, and it's like over a hundred dollars to visit Paisley Ooh, Park wee. for like an hour. <laughs> so instead of doing that, I looked up other Prince historical sites, <laughs> and the house from Purple Rain you can go to. Uh, so I went to that. Uh, anyway, it was nuts at the time for this guy to like, cause he was still kind of on the rise. Like he it wasn't like he was, uh, you know, I, I don't know. He's still kind of on the rise and he decides he's going to make a major motion picture, which then has like a premiere in Hollywood and an album at the same, like it was like nuts. Like what? Yeah. Like what are you? It was nuts. Um, and then they thought it was going to be a new trend. Like then everybody's going to want to do this thing. Everybody's going to want to make their own movie and like, and then Prince kept trying to make movies. He never made one that was as good. You know, like, mm -hmm. Purple Rain, I think, had, like, mixed reviews, but, like, generally positive. And then his other movies sound like they were terrible. Uh, but anyway, this was a huge... Turns out, man. Yeah. Like, huge, huge, huge. Uh, and so, of course, like, you know, he goes to the Grammys. Um, but fun fact, his rival Michael Jackson had also put out an mm. album that year. Uh, it was Thriller. Ooh. <laughs> the greatest. Probably the best-selling album of all time. So... You know, this is the one of the things about Prince is that he he does these like just incredible things, and then Michael does something that's just a little bit more popular, just like slightly. Yeah. So, just yeah, uh. it's like I, I don't know. There's like an NBA uh, comparison, I'm sure, where like he just it's like my Bulls were really good. They were really good in like 2011, and then they kept going up against 
LeBron. It's not quite that, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so ben Gordon and LeBron, I'm not sure. Is oh, you, you said, uh, yeah, and uh, so you were talking about Magic earlier, too, and uh, when he, Prince decided, like, shortly before he died, that he was going to write a memoir. And so he hired, he's going to, he, like, worked with, he was working with this guy to write it, and the guy was like, yeah, like, and your work is like magic, and he said, don't use that word. That's Michael's word. <laughs> this is not, what I do is not magic. This is like, that's what Michael, that's what Michael does. Like, oh my gosh. Uh, incredible. Magic is, is Michael's word. Anyway, this week I'm going to go with uh, a song from Purple Rain, I Would Die For You. Mm. That for you. Just thinking about uh, uh, David's love for Jonathan right. here. I Would Die For You. Fun fact. Uh, I did. I went to Coachella shortly after Prince died in 2016, and Usher performed "I Would Die for You." He wasn't even headlining. It was like Just he like up. went up during some electronica band and did Ooh, "I Would wow. Die for You" as a tribute. It's great. Uh, and then after Prince, uh, let's see. So last time I did Pearl Jam's "Daughter" because we have a number of daughter references in here. So I feel like that's always a good one. And then I was trying to think about other songs of lament and grief. Uh, and so of course, being a child of the '90s, I had to go with Eric Clapton's "Tears in Heaven," another song just gushing out of uh, one person's grief. I like it, man. Cool. Good app. Good app. It's been real. Real vinyl. 